What is up, everybody? My name is Matt Cordova. I'm the senior pastor here at The River, and we are excited that you are listening to our podcast. Now, before the message starts, there's three things that we would love for you to do. One, we would love for you to share it. Two, we would love for you to subscribe. And three, we would love for you to go and rate it. So the message is about to begin. I hope it encourages you, and I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. This was our goal for 2022. Our goal for this year is for us to know God, right? Notice that I didn't say know about God, but it's for us to know him, to understand his character, to, uh, for us to understand who he is and how he's been throughout the whole biblical narrative. For many people, what they see when they think about God is you think of an Old Testament wrathful Zeus looking type God who's ready to throw down lightning bolts in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, you have this overly gracious and, and what did, what did uh, let's say last week, glazed donuts and champagne kind of God. You know what I mean? And what we want to see is that God is actually consistent throughout the Bible. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So today we're going to look at a very common story and see what we can learn about God. Right? Y'all guys with me on that? Y'all, y'all want to dive in? Y'all ready to dive in? If you got a Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Um, Jesus is getting close to the cross. If you've been watching our Wednesday Bible study, we're in Mark chapter 14. This is literally a couple days before, so we're etching closer. He's been teaching about this kingdom, telling them that it's now here, and it's different than what they're used to. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, this is what it says. As he was setting out on a journey, this is Jesus and his disciples, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him, No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher! I've kept all these since my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved him. And he said, you lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then, this should be familiar, right? Then follow me, right? Follow me. Uh, He said, but he was dismayed by this demand and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Uh, today, I want to talk to you from this, this title. Is, uh, it's called The Great, the great Trade-Off. The Great Trade-Off. Every return neighbor say, make the trade. Make the trade. Let's pray. So, dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you. God, I thank you um, that throughout the biblical narrative, your heart has always been to dwell with your people. God, I thank you that you're here with us today. God, and I ask you to, to reveal yourself in a new way. That we would not know about you, but we would know you. It's in your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. The great, the great trade. Anybody know what a trade off is? Anybody? Uh, it's often a term used in like businesses. There's a trade off going on. Um, Google, I, I Googled it because it has to be right if it's on the interweb, right? So Google says this that a trade off is to exchange something of value, especially as part of a compromise. Right, uh, that's what a trade-off is. Is, is, is. There's this exchange that's going on. Usually, and this is what's interesting. Usually, the trade-off reveals your values, but we'll dive into that here in just a little bit. Here's what I want you to think about. Imagine this: that every time you say yes to something, you are simultaneously saying no to something else. Right? Every time you say yes to something, you are at the very same time saying no 
to something else. Brayden said this. He said, there's no such thing as one decision. So let me use examples, right? We're at the beginning of the year. A lot of people, like, they have fitness goals. So maybe you set this goal of, like, okay, I'm going to wake up at 5.30 in the morning. That's really early. But I'm going to wake up at 5.30 in the morning. I'm going to go work out. And when the alarm comes off, you make this decision. You say, you know what? I'm just going to sleep in, right? When you say yes to sleeping in, you were at the same time saying no to working out at that time period. You see that, right? There's a yes over here. There's a no over here. Some of you are like, that's my favorite time to say yes. Yes. I want sleep. If you've got kids, amen. Right? Um, another one. Let's, let's say this. Let's say um, you haven't been on date night in a while and you're like, all right. This is what we're going to do. We're going to schedule a date night. We are going to put it in our calendar. We're going to stick to it. Uh, we're not going to adjust anything. When you say yes to sticking that in your calendar and then walking it out, you are at the same time saying no to other activities in that time slot. Does that make sense? You are also saying yes to your spouse and no to any, in, any, uh, anything or anyone else. Does that make sense? So that, like, that's a double trade-off, right? That's a double whammy. That's, that's two trade-offs in the right direction. Right? If I say yes to this and no to that. Uh, let's go to money. Let's talk about money. Nobody panic, not a tithe sermon. Okay? Let's say if I, I'm going to make this, I want to make this goal, I want to save this amount of money. So in order to save this amount of money, I've got to change my spending habits. So in saying yes to saving money, I'm saying no to spending money. Do you see where the trade-off really happens? Here's what's really interesting. The things that you most frequently say yes to reveals what you value. Right? So, for example, if I always say yes to date night, what am I saying? I value my marriage. I value my spouse. I value my relationship. If I always say yes to sleep instead of working out, guess what I'm saying? I value the Z's. Right? I love to sleep. But here's the question. Can you make a bad trade-off? Can you make a bad trade-off? Well, okay, so let's imagine this. Let's say you have a family event planned, and then all of a sudden, like, an opportunity for overtime comes up. Right, And you say yes to the overtime, but at the same time that you say yes to the overtime, you're saying no to the family event. Now, that, I mean, saying it one time, that's not, I mean, it can't be too bad, but what happens if you're always saying yes to the overtime and always saying no to the family event, right? As you make that decision over time, here's the bigger question. What are you communicating? Oftentimes that work is more valuable than, than spending time with my family. Can I tell you something? Some things perish, like money, right? Um, let's think about another one. Let's think, let's go back to the sleeping analogy, right? We used it in an instance that people may like. What about this one? Um, let's say you've got to be at work at 7 o'clock, so you set your alarm at, at, at 6.05 because you're the kind of guy that knows exactly how long it takes you to get there right before you have to clock in, right? There are those people. They wake up at the last second, because they know if I wake up at 6.07, that I will be there by 7 o'clock, right? There are those people. But what happens when your alarm goes off and you decide to sleep in, and then therefore you're actually late to work, right? As a, as a business owner, first time, you're like, hey, bro, I need to show up on time. But what happens if you continually make that decision over and over and over again? You're actually saying yes to sleep, but you're saying no to punctuality. Does that make sense? What happens when you sign up for the XO Marriage Conference? There's a plug. You see it? <laughs> just like, what do you say? I mean, think about what you communicate, though. It's not just a church function. When you sign up for that, you're saying, yes, I want to invest in my marriage. Or, yes, I want to learn the tools that's, that's needed to, to succeed in relationships. 
You, you know what I'm saying? Like every yes reveals something. Every no reveals something. And a lot of times what we don't think about, oftentimes is we think about the one decision. We think about the yes or no and not the repercussions of the other side of the coin. Does that make sense? So in, in today's story, there is a trade-off. There's a big trade-off, right? Uh, let's look at verse 17 again. He says this, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and he knelt down before him and he asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said this. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. All right. So let's, let's break this down. Uh, right off the bat, we see two major characters, right? In this story, there's two major characters. We've got Jesus on this side, and then we have this, this young man on this side. Let's, let's talk about this young man for a little bit. What do we know about this young man? Well, if you cheat and you looked at the subtitles, then we know that this is the rich young ruler, right? Uh, this story is found in a couple Gospels. It's found in Matthew. It's also found in Luke. We're looking at Mark's Gospel. So uh, the, with him being a rich young ruler, that implies a couple things. One, it implies that the guy's wealthy. You don't call somebody rich unless they got stuff, right? Let's just be real, right? So the dude's got money. He's got possessions. Um, uh, but also, he's known as a ruler. So what does that also imply? It implies that he's got authority, and he's probably got some kind of influence, right? He's, so he's rich, got possessions. He's a ruler. He's got influence. He's got authority. And this, this young man runs up to the feet of Jesus, kneels at his feet, and he asks him this question. How do I get eternal life? It's really interesting because if you're a man that has everything, this might be the one thing he doesn't have. And he's, basically what he's asking is, how do I earn it? Right? Because that's what the Old Testament, like the Old Testament teaching kind of was, is if I want to have right standing with God, then I've got to do this and do that, and I've got to look like the Pharisees, I've got to earn it. It's exhausting. The beauty of today is you, can't, you don't have to earn your right standing with God. Jesus got it for you. That's the beauty. If you believe in Jesus, guess what? You are in the right state. You have peace with God. You have wholeness with God. Now, when you study this, there's a bunch of different interesting opinions. Scum scholars think that this guy was trying to, to flatter Jesus, like butter him up so that he'll answer his question more easily. Uh, others don't. I'll tell you what I think. I don't think he's trying to flatter Jesus at all. When's the last time you ran and threw yourself at somebody's feet? We don't do that, do we? we okay. Would you run and throw yourself? Would you run and kneel at somebody's feet that you feel like you had more power and authority over? If you had a position over somebody, like if you're the boss of a business, when's the last time you ran to an employee and said, hey, I need your help? Looks like begging, doesn't it? Right? I think this guy uh, like realizes something about Jesus that maybe we need to run and conclude as well. Because many of us, we don't run and throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus. We run and throw ourselves at the feet of, of idols or ideas or logic or money. But how many of us understand that he's actually in the safest place to be? At the feet of Jesus. How many of our lives would change if we would run and throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus? You know I mean? How many of our, our, our fears would, would, would flutter away? How much of our stress I mean, it, it really, when you throw yourself at the feet of Jesus, what you really understand is, or what you come to conclude is that I really don't have as much control as I think I do, and that's okay. Like, I don't need to control the situation. I don't need to control the outcome. I'm at the feet of the one who does, and his heart is for me. But this guy, okay, so he, he runs, and, and uh, I think he's humble. 
I really do. I think he's, he's really pursuing, he's authentically trying to pursue the answer of this question. He, he runs to Jesus and he says, uh, how do I get eternal life? And then Jesus says, I think this is one of the most confusing things that I've ever heard Jesus say. Like he says this, he says, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except for God. And anybody ever read that and be confused by it? If that's you online, post the hand raised thing in the chat. Anybody ever read that and been confused? I know there's a bunch of people who are like, I want to raise my hand. <laughs> Just, <laughs> right? I'll be honest, that, that is the most confusing statement to me in the Bible. Because when you think about Jesus, we automatically go to the, man, Jesus is good. Isn't that the gospel? Gospel literally means good news. Jesus is directly tied to the good news. How could, Jesus, how could you say that you're not good or, or change the subject or, or anything? So here's what I was thinking about. Think of it this way. Um, let's ask this question. Who was the original definer of good? Can we talk? It was God. In, in the beginning, right? God creates something and he says, I saw that it was good. Then there was evening and morning the first day. God creates something else. Oh, it's good. There's evening and morning. Even God defined what wasn't good. Man's alone. It's not good for man to be alone. All right, I'm going to use anesthesia, bring out a woman. Woo! And then he was like, it's really good. You know what I mean? But God was the original definer of good in the biblical narrative, right? You know, okay, let, me, let me put sin in a simple perspective. Sin happened when man tried to grasp its own understanding of good and evil, yeah. right? Sin happens when we try to be the definers of good and evil in our life. How many of you know God has laid it out for us in the word of God, right? You know what many of us struggle with? A good that seems good to us, but it's not from God. I was reading a book, uh, it's called... Uh, Good or God by John Bevere. It's, it's one of the most profound books I've ever read. And he said, the, the biggest struggle that we're going to face is not a flagrant just evil, which is out there, right? But it's pursuing a good that's not from God. It's pursuing a good that's not from God. If you look at what Eve saw about the tree, it said it looked delightful. It looked good. It looked like all of the descriptive attributes looking at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil were looking at the good side of the tree. In her eyes, it was good. So she seized it, or humanity seized what was good, right? Many of us are chasing a good that's not from God. And, and we're just saying, well, it must be God. No, 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 no. Just because it's good doesn't mean... Uh, I'm going to use this as an example. I tried to think of a better one, but, um, you know, pornography is everywhere, right? Uh, do you know the average age of a kid looking at porn when I was a youth pastor was nine years old? That was 2012 to 2016. If you've got a kid with a cell phone under the age of nine, guess what we just gave them easily, like easy accessibility to? Here's what we would, I would tell you. Is sex good? Yes, God created it. But he also gave parameters. He defined what good looks like for sex. Does that make sense? There is a good that is separate from God. Sex outside of the marriage bed is not God. Right? Not his plan. I, I just want you to see this, right? Because our humanity is trying to take this and use it and say, no, 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 it's good. It's good. Everybody, everybody's doing that, right? Peer pressure at the age of 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 20, you know what I mean? Like, it's everywhere. You know what I mean? I, I, it, that's what, so sin, what happens when we try to seize our own understanding of good and evil. So for the young man to run up to Jesus and say, hey, listen, you are good. He's, he's declaring one of two things. He's either saying you are from God or you speak for him. Right? This young man sees something in Jesus that everybody else is missing out on. 
right? Runs up, good, good, good. Did you know that the, that the rabbis actually wouldn't use the word good? They wouldn't use the word good because they would save it for God. So it, when they would approach a rabbi, they wouldn't call him a good rabbi. They would save the term good for God. So put that in perspective of what this young man's doing, right? So I think when Jesus replies back to him, he's like, nobody's good except for the Father. I think what Jesus is saying, I hope you're ready for me to talk to you like God would. <laughs> Insert the next verse, right? It gets real after that. He says this. He says, you know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor mom and dad. And this guy says, teacher, I have kept them all. So what is Jesus doing? Right, right off the bat, he starts listing off some of the Ten Commandments. He lists off six of the ten, right? Don't murder. He points them to, have you killed anybody? Anybody? No? Okay, good. Proud of you guys, right? Uh, have you committed adultery? No, right? We don't know if this guy's married or cheated. Have you stolen? Do you lie? Why would he say defraud? Because if you know the Ten Commandments, it's covet, not defraud. The reason that Jesus would say defraud is because a lot of times rich got rich from defrauding the poor. They coveted the poor's good, and then they defrauded them. So Jesus would use a term that was relevant to him. Have you defraud? Did you get wealthy because you stole from the poor? Like you defrauded them, you lied to them. Um, did you treat mom and dad good? Did you honor them? Right? Did you notice he didn't list off all ten? He only listed off six. And there's a common theme between all six of these. Is it was on how well you treated other people. Jesus said this. I don't know if you guys remember this. He said the whole law is summed up in this. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, let me. Did you know the word sin has no religious ties, period? Like it's not a religious word. The word sin, the word, the Hebrew word that they would use for sin or the Greek word that they would use for sin simply means to miss the mark. That was it. They would use it. They would talk about uh, people and their ability to use that thing that David slayed Goliath with. A slingshot. That's what it was. Um, they would talk about that. Yeah. It's funny. You get up here and you're like, I know this story. And then you go to talk about it. It disappears. Uh, and so David would use a slingshot where they were talking about their ability to use the slingshot. And they would use the same word for sin. They said they, they could not miss. It was the same word that they would use for sin. You know what the original mark was? It's all in the two tablets. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Four commandments there. Love your neighbor as yourself. The other six that he mentions. Right? All of the, 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 the sins that he mentioned have to do with loving people. The other four have to do with loving God. So he's basically like this. He, he goes through, he goes, you know the commandments. How good are you at loving people? Church, how good are we at loving people? How good, like if, if, if loving God and loving people is what sets the mark, how good are we at loving people? And here's the bigger question. Who defines the definition of love that you use? Well, love is just love. Nah, let me, here's a hard question. We're getting way off my notes. That's okay. Come on, Lord. Um, is God love or is love God? Is God love or is love God? If you say that love is God, then whoever defines love is God. Think about this. Are there movements going on in the world in the name of love that don't look like God? Yes. We know in 1 John that God is defined as love, for God is love. So who gets to define what love looks like? 
God, where is it? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. How many of you know that's not a marriage text? Right? We hear it at weddings and all that other stuff. He's writing to the church because they're arguing with each other about who's more spiritual than the other. Well, I do this and you just show hospitality. I speak in tongues and you just give people hugs. Right? I'm more spiritual than you. I know Jesus more than you. Right? And, and in chapter 13, he says this. He, uh, the, actually, the end of chapter 12 says, eagerly desire the gifts. Should you want the gifts of the Spirit? Absolutely. But he closes with it. But let me show you the best way of life. Insert 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The whole chapter is on love. He says, listen, if I could speak all the languages of angels and prophesy, but I don't love people, I'm a noisy gong. And he goes, through, if I give it all away, then I am nothing. If I do this, then I do nothing. Right? For many of us, we've become noisy and loud and because we don't love people really well. Right? Isn't that what we brag about is God's love? You know who He chose to be the expression of His love? The church. He chose the church. Right? So, so this guy, Jesus asked him, he says, man, how good are you at loving people? And he, he says this, like, how many of y'all would do this? Like Jesus said, all right, how, how good are you at loving people? Jesus, I've done all of that. Come on. Right? He goes through this list. Don't murder. Don't covet. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't defraud. Honor your mom and dad. And he's like, woohoo! If this is what I need for the thing that I'm pursuing, I've done it. Right? Oh, I've kept them all, Lord Jesus. Ugh, good teacher, rabbi, let's go. I've done it all. Personally, I think the dude's lying. Right? But let's, let's just say he's not. Right? Let's just say that he's telling the truth. Can you imagine how excited this guy is? Like, I'm, I'm, I came here. I'm looking for eternal life. That's the only thing I don't got, Jesus. I got money. I got clothes. They don't have cars, but maybe they had like a Fred Flintstone type thing going on. You know what I mean? Like, I've got all of this stuff. And the only thing I don't have is eternal life. And you're telling me that this is how I earn it? Joke's on him. You can't earn it. <laughs> Jesus says this in the next verse. Verse 21. You lack one thing. Can you imagine how deflating that would be? Like, <laughs> I got it all. It'd be like going to work and your boss like, hey, you're killing it. Except for you're not good at this. What? I was killing it. <laughs> I was so good. He's like, he's so pumped. And Jesus says, no, no, no. You lack one thing. Go and sell all you have. Yeah, can you see? Yeah, he's super deflated now. Give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He got the same invitation as the disciples. Y'all see that? There could, there, what I'm seeing is there could have been like 13. There could have been 13. He invites him. He says, but he was dismayed by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. See, what's interesting in keeping all of the commands that deal with people, he actually broke the one that dealt with God the most. It was the first one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Right? Material wealth was his God. His possessions, his money was his comfort. It was his source. It was his security. He depended on his possessions and money like we are told to depend on God. So what Jesus is asking him to do is what he often does with all of us, is he asks him to give up his God and follow him. 
Now, can you see where it gets tough? Right? Can you see the trade-off right here? Here's where the trade-off comes in. What happens? Well, if I say yes to Jesus, I get eternal life. If I say yes to Jesus, um, I get an inheritance, which would be uh, the new heaven, new earth, Revelations 20 through 22. And if I say yes to Jesus, I get to follow him. I get to see all the things that he does. But if I, if I say yes, there's the trade-off. The trade-off is I have to give away all my money. Notice this is just a command specific to him. This is not what Jesus tells everybody to do. Okay, let's clear the air there, right? Some of y'all are like, I got to give it all up. Well, if it's your God, maybe. But you know what I mean? But he, he says, but if, if he says yes, then the other side is he loses his wealth. He loses his possessions. And the truth is, is he may not have a home to sleep in. What Jesus' foxes have dens and, and uh, other stuff, but, the, but I may not have a pillow to lay my head on. Isn't that what Jesus told one guy that wanted to follow him? Like, I may not have a place to sleep or at least a home to sleep in. You know what I mean? But if he says no, if he says no to Jesus, he gets to keep everything he has, but he misses out on the one thing he came to pursue. He misses out on eternal life. For, for, for this young man, Jesus asked him to give up the thing that had the tightest grip on his heart. And that thing actually kept him from following him. Here's a question I want to ask, church. If Jesus was to approach us today, what do you think he'd ask us to give up? You mean, what is it that has the tightest grip on our heart? You know, is it, is it our money? Is it our possessions? I'm going to say a word and I'm going to get bad looks, but it's real. Is it our nationalism? Is it, is it um, I, I wasn't going to say this, but is it our kids? Well, God wouldn't ask me to give up our kids. Go ask Abraham. You know what I mean? Teenagers, is it your notoriety, your desire to be known, your desire to be seen, to have likes, follows, shares? That goes for adults too. I know a bunch of adults that post just to get likes, shares, and and loves, and reposts, and retweets, and all that other stuff. You know, is is it our money, our materialism? Here's a big one. Is it our pride or our logic? Our desire to have to be right. Or desire to have to know. You know what I mean? What, are, what, are, what, are, what about some of emotions that, that have a grip on our heart? Would it be, would Jesus ask us to lay down our fear? I think fear can be a God. I think we watched it rule all 2020. You know what I mean? There's so many things. Like Jesus went to him and he asked him to let go of the thing that had the tightest grip on his heart. Why? So that Jesus could have it. Why is this, when God does that, is God being cruel? No. It's God's actually trying to show you life. Where is life found? In Christ, in Christ alone. Right? Life is not found in material possessions. Well, I think there's a Jim Carrey quote that says, uh, I wish that people would get everything that they ever wished for only to find out that it wasn't, it's not where life is or it's not real. It's not worth it. That's Jim Carrey. Dude probably could buy anything he wants. Right? He said, I wish you'd accomplish all your dreams, only to find out that that's not where satisfaction comes from. That's not where life comes from. There's a verse. You know, in in January, we did the the Proverbs challenge, right? We we were praying over specific things. Uh, On day four, we were in Proverbs chapter four. This is what verse 23 says. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
Jesus asked him to give up the thing that had the tightest grip on his what? His heart. The only reason he wouldn't sell it is because his possessions were his God, right? He put his possessions right here and he couldn't imagine a life without it. But Solomon, which is who we attribute a majority of the Proverbs to, says this. He says, guard your what? Your heart. Protect it. Protect what you allow into it. You know what the beauty of a guard is? Is a guard has the ability to say no to things or to say yes to it. Right? If I put a guard at a gate, he, somebody can walk up to my gate and the guard can be like, no, I ain't letting you in. Too many of us are letting everything in. And we're wondering why life is pulling us all over the place. Why? Well, we haven't guarded our heart. Right? But the guard can also say yes to things that, that matter. Yes to things that are from God. So when we guard our heart, it look, did you see what it says? Bring that verse up. It says that it determines the course of your life. Listen, what am I telling you? Is if you take a step back, you're probably right where you are because of what you allowed in your heart. Right? If I struggle with anger and bitterness, why would I struggle with that? Well, because I allow it into my heart. If I struggle with negativity and fear, why would I live right that? Why would I be moving that direction? Because that's what I've allowed into my heart. If I have destructive thoughts and depleting thoughts, like destructive thoughts, not like in hurting yourself, but like I'm never good enough. I'm, I'm, I'm just not this. I'm just not that. Guess what? You've allowed it into your heart. Yeah. My question is, what would happen if we would change that? Come on. What would happen if we let hope into our heart? Because isn't that what the gospel brings is hope. What would happen if we allowed life into our heart? Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know what I mean? What would happen if we changed what we allowed into our heart and actually guarded it? Listen, you can say no to things that are trying to enter your heart. Paul said it this way. He says, take every thought captive, right, and compare it to Christ. You don't have to let everything try to invade your heart that's coming. You get to say no. How many of us, here's what I'm saying, is we need to take a step back. Take a step back and say, man, is this from God? If this is from you, I want it all in here. I want it all in my heart. Holy Spirit, reveal to me what needs to stay in. Some of us, it's spring cleaning time. Right? We just came out of snowpocalypse 2022. Right? We need to clean it out. You know what I mean? Some of us, we need to get the cobwebs out. Some of us, it's time for us to get the bitterness and the anger out. You know what I mean? I'll tell you something that wrecked my world last week. I think as a parent, every time... Um, we, so I think as parents, sometimes we question whether or not we're being too hard on our kids. You know what I mean? I've always had that question. Am I being too hard on Bradley? Am I being too hard on Bradley? Last week, I went to a funeral for a kid who had a brain hemorrhage at four years old. My son is four. You know what I mean? And it made me think about all the moments I could miss out on. Yeah, are we supposed to, to protect and guide and discipline our kids? Yes, but not at the, not at the spot of forsaking speaking life and destiny into who they really are. You know what I mean? If all I let is discipline into my heart, then we shouldn't be surprised when our kids get rebellious because all, they think they're going to get in trouble for everything that they do in the first place. Am I supposed to discipline them? Yeah, the Bible says that the father who spares his child, the rod hates him. 
But that's not my only job. My job is to guide him. But if I don't let that come into my heart, then my son may not end up where he needs to be. What am I saying? Our life is going in the direction of the things that have the tightest grip on our heart. You are where you are right now because of what you have allowed to grip your heart. And, and for many of us, Jesus has appeared in our life and set, given us permission to let it go. The only reason that we haven't is it's comfortable and we know what it feels like. It's the truth. Right? Why did Israel want to go back to Egypt? Because they know what the landscape was. They knew what it felt like. In, in the desert, man, in Egypt, we had water everywhere. We had fish. We had bread. And I, and I know I use this analogy all the time, but in Egypt, they were slaves. If you feel trapped right now because of what you allowed in your heart, listen, Jesus gives you permission to, to hand it off. To, to let it go. Anybody feel a frozen spirit in here right now? Let it go. No, I'm just kidding. I should have been singing. Do you want to build a snowman? <laughs> Worship team, if you guys will come up. Can't joke in church. Come on, man. <laughs> just... I, I want to I close with actually my favorite part of this whole story. Um, I think the story's amazing. Is it depressing that the guy chose not to follow Jesus? Yeah. I mean, we, want, we all want stories with happy endings, right? We all want stories where we see miraculous change or, you know, where, where bank accounts are empty and then all of a sudden, like, there's provision out of nowhere or people with withered hands are being healed. But unfortunately, that's not how this story ends. You, we read it. Jesus said, hey, listen, this is what I want you to do. You, you lack one thing. You have another God that's not God. You know what's crazy is this guy was Jewish. Why else would he have kept the Ten Commandments? Why else would he have focused? So in his pursuit of God, he actually wasn't pursuing God. There's a lot of people doing that. In our pursuit of God, we're not actually pursuing... In our pursuit of purpose, we're not actually pursuing God. Many of us pursue purpose because we want to feel good. And God's like, if you just choose me, I'd show you what it looks like. <laughs> I would just take you there. <laughs> you know... This story doesn't have a happy ending, but there's a, a part of a verse that is the most amazing thing in the whole story. And it's in verse 21. I skipped it on purpose. It says this. It says, looking at him, Jesus loved him. Leave that one up. Leave that one up. Looking at... <laughs> this is amazing. Right? This is before Jesus said, hey, you lack one thing. It says that Jesus looked at it, and it's like this, and it's not like he just like saw him. It's like he looked deep into who he is, deep into his created being. How else could he tell that, that this guy had another God? Jesus looked into the depths of who he is, and before commanding him to do or asking him to do anything, what does it say he did? He loved him. Knowing this guy had possessions as a God. He loved him. Knowing this guy might not say yes to him. He loved him. Knowing this guy had a struggle, he loved him. Listen, insert your, your, your struggle right there. 
Knowing that I struggle with anger, he loves you. Knowing that you have an addiction, he loves you. Knowing that I don't always make the right choice, he loves you. Knowing that I may choose not choose him all the time, he loves you. That's the gospel. Humanity, Old Testament, let me sum it up for you. We didn't choose God over and over and over and over again. This guy's standing before Jesus asking and believing that he's chased God, but he hasn't. And he looks at him and he loves him. Listen, for somebody, you need to hear that word. Whether you're here online, I don't know what your struggle is. Listen, we all have one. We're human. We mess up. Ask my wife all the time. But despite my mess ups, God loves you. Despite your history, God loves you. Despite your current struggle, God loves you. Despite your future struggle, guess what? He loves you. And even more, did you recognize that he gave him a chance? Did you see it? It says he, he sees him. He loves him. He says, hey, listen, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go give everything away. Yeah. And then here it is. Come follow me. There's the chance. There's the chance. Man, I don't know what your struggle is today. But I'm here to tell you what the Bible is about. Okay? It, this, is, this is what it's about. God made humanity for the reason of co-ruling with him on the earth. And humanity tried to seize its own understanding. We tried to be self-dependent. We tried to exist without God. That is sin. And then we keep choosing because of sin. You, you see people murdering and enslaving and trying to take power over. There's a power struggle between humanity. And it just spirals out of control. And then God chooses a, a person by the name of Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm gonna, I'm, through you, all nations are going to be blessed. And Abraham does the same thing. He messes up. He messes up. Gives, give him several chances. He messes up. He has a son named Isaac. He gives Isaac a chance. He messes up. He has a son named Jacob who would be Israel. He messes up. But through Jacob, we get the nation of Israel. And God says through them, hey, I want you to bless all nations. And guess what? They worship false gods. They did the same thing. God looking at them, what does the Bible say? He loved them. God could have given up on them. There was a time that he went to. Moses went up on the mountain and said, man, don't strike them down. And instead of striking them down, what did God do? He gave them the plans for the tabernacle where his presence would be. Insert Jesus on the scene. It would take somebody living a perfect life to pay for the sins of humanity. So what does he do? He comes in the form of a baby. Listen, this is a king. Comes in the form of a baby. Born in an animal feeding trough. Not surrounded by royal courts, but surrounded by shepherds who were the outcasts of their society. Surrounded by animals. They don't even talk English. Speak English. That's better English. <laughs> and he comes. And he grows up. And he lives this life that was needed. Why? Because he knew he was sent from the Father. Come on. Come on. He says, I only say what I see the Father or hear the Father saying. I only do what I hear the Father doing or see the Father doing. And they murdered him for it. 
Well, he gave his life. You know, it's interesting. It was the Jews and the Gentiles that put him on the cross. You know who Jesus died for? The Jews and the Gentiles. When, the story, when we thought the story was over, he arose three days later and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And I believe that the same message that he delivers is what he's telling this rich young man. Hey, get rid of what's on your heart. Let go of the thing that's got the tightest grip on your heart and come follow me. I see you. I love you. And I'm giving you the chance to come follow me. You think you have money here. You think you got possessions here. You have an inheritance that's coming. But it requires you to let that go now and come follow me. Listen, that invitation's open to everybody in the room and anybody watching online. That I don't know what your struggle is. I don't know what your God is. But I know that Jesus sees you. He loves you. And he gives you the same chance he gave this guy to come follow me. So we're going to worship. I ask our ministry team to come up. If you want to make that decision, they're ready to talk to you about what that looks like. If you're online, send us a message, post it in the chat, say, I want to, I want to follow him. I want to follow Jesus. But that's what this is about, right? What do we, what do we learn about God? What do we learn about God? That he sees me in my struggle and he still loves me and he gives me a chance. Right. So dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for today. God, we thank you uh, for, the, for, the, for the example, God. And, and even in a story where somebody doesn't say yes to following you, we see your heart. We see who you are. God, that throughout the narrative, you see us in our struggle and you love us. Why? Because God is love. So God, I, I just pray for strength and for boldness for that person that may need to say yes today, that may step up, God, that says, listen, I, I'm just going to let go of what has the tightest grip on my heart and come and follow Jesus. And then I pray for those that need to take a step back and, and we use the religious term rededicate for us to take a step back and say, listen, I know I've messed up, but life is found in Christ and Christ alone. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray and everybody say Hey, that's the message. I hope it encouraged you. I hope it inspired you. I hope that you know that God has a plan for your life. In fact, if you would like to join us as a part of our online campus and you would like to watch the video as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing week.